640 Toronto presents Think Tank, the breaking stories you care about. Please tell me. Okay, I'll tell you. The backstories you don't know yet. That's my question. Facts and opinions that get you through your day. You never know what you're going to get. And now let's meet the guests. It's great to be on Think Tank with our two guests. We're very happy to have both of them. Let's welcome in first Ahmad Elbayumi, who's the author of Paula Corner uh, by at NewsBeyondCA. You can find him uh, at NewsBeyond.ca. It's great to have you on. We've been aiming to do this for a while. You know that. I'm a fan of your work, and you're going to be great at this. And you'll just have to tell me I'll be average, Ahmad, and we'll get along just great. I appreciate you having me. Thanks for having me. Happy to. And uh, somebody that's been on the show a few times. We've talked to education issues with him before. And, uh, of course, uh, education factors into everything, really. He's a TCDSB Ward 2 trustee. He is Marcus Domenico. Marcus, welcome back to Toronto Today as well. It's great to have you on. Hey, good morning, Greg and Ahmed. Nice to meet you on air, Ahmed and Greg. Thanks for having me on. Well, happy to. Let's start with you, Marcus. Uh, Big news, obviously, in the Ontario PC cabinet. A cabinet minister out after less than 24 hours after this particular story about Las Vegas and the trip breaks. You can go to Las Vegas. You can do what you want there. But what you cannot do, Marcus, is lie to the integrity commissioner or get confused when you're under oath with the integrity commissioner when you get asked, where did you go? What did you do? Who paid for things? Really quick before I get your response, here's the response earlier from Marit Stiles yesterday afternoon, Ontario's NDP leader. People are really pissed off. They're really pissed off because while, you know, they struggle to pay their mortgage, this government is digging in on a deal that they know is dirty, that they know is corrupt. They know something doesn't smell right here. We've had two independent uh, officers of the legislature report on that. It's time that the premier actually stepped up and and was completely transparent with the people of this province. Okay, it's quite a story. It's quite a scandal. I know it's a beat uh, Ahmad covers, and I want to get to him too. But Marcus, what's your thought here of the damage that's done and uh, how quickly this damage and fallout came? Well, I, you know, it's, it, it is a big story. I think the, the story here is also how different the two um, ministers and MPPs were moved or not moved quickly. This is a case of extricating someone who seems to have forgotten the month that they were in Las Vegas. And I totally get going to Las Vegas and, and being a little cloudy after, but, but you just can't do that. So I think the, the MPP, uh, where she did the right thing, leave now, stand aside and uh, try to get the integrity commissioner to give you a green light to come back. We'll see. And I don't know how easy that'll be. I'm a uh, Queens Park and covering provincial politics. That's your bread and butter. Were you surprised by the speed of which the resignation came? And I'm not just from the cabinet, but right out of the caucus to sit as an independent next week. Right. And and I think that's the thing here. Why did Mr. Rashid have to leave caucus? Um, And why did the premier's office ultimately allow it? Because that's an admission that something went wrong. And I think that there's probably more to it that we don't know, because Minister Clark was was, you know, implicated by the integrity commissioner and just had to resign from from cabinet. Right. Um, But but I hear it often said what happened, what happens in Vegas does not stay in Vegas. And clearly that's what happened here. Um, Mr. Rashid lied to the um, to the integrity commissioner about the dates of the trip, about what happened at, um, during the trip. Um, and I think it's it's already been a really bad summer for for the conservatives. And, and, and this just just adds to it. Um, and I think there's also implications here in Mississauga because um, 
MPP Rashid won the closest riding for the Tories in in the city. Um, Aaron Mills was he he won it by three percentage points against a former Liberal cabinet minister. So what does that look like for the Tories going into 2026 um, when there may be a new leader who hails from you know the city the G, from the G, from the GTA? Yeah, it is one of those scenarios. Let, let me follow up with you there. Um, one name I'm I'm hearing back and forth, uh, Ahmad, that is. You know, at least under some scrutiny is the minister of the environment right now, David Puccini. Um, he he knows about the deals uh, again it, because the province is saying we're doing these deals and there's a reason we're doing them. But I almost feel like a third if if it happens that a third member of this party leaves cabinet over these land deals. I don't know how you go forward with it. I know there's people calling for it now, but maybe it's as much to score political points. What's your read on whether there's more? My goodness, more resignations to follow. Well, I don't know if there will be. I wouldn't be surprised if there would be. Um, I do think that there will be people calling the premier right now, telling him that there is there is a need for a massive shakeup in government. We saw a few weeks ago um, a cabinet shuffle, which um, was minor because of Minister Clark's resignation. And it did you know, catch up with mm-hmm. my reporting that we would see one before the end of September. But I'm wondering if there will be yet another cabinet shuffle on a more broader scale, because here you have ministers who are going to have to face the media starting Monday about what they do and do not know about the Greenbelt land swap. Right. And, and it could be and it could be damaging for them. I think you make a great point. They're there. Um, they can be scrutinized. They can be kind of got to in the hallways, got to uh, in the legislature and in the summer, unless they want to come on radio shows or pick up the phone and do newspaper interviews. Uh, they very much have a have a life of their own. Uh, we're uh, talking with Marcus D. Domenico, uh, Ward 2 trustee for TCDSB and Ahmad Elbayumi, who you just heard there author of Paula Corner at News Beyond. Marcus, this is a Doug Ford question, and it's it's a bigger picture question than just this particular scandal. But I, I think he's popular. I know how popular he is. It's not just the you know, election results that say it. And when you drive outside the city of Toronto, as you and I do, you realize how popular Ford and the conservatives are. He, he did a great job being relatable to two days ago, meeting with Olivia Chow, giving her a photo of the statue of Jack Layden. This is an interesting one, isn't it? Because Doug Ford would get a lot of credit for walking this particular deal back. He did a lot during pandemic time saying, oh, you don't like this restriction. The public's speaking. OK, I'll pull it back. It drives opposition members crazy that he kind of gets when to do that. But I don't know if you have a vibe as to whether he's willing to do that here with Greenbelt. Well, I'm privileged to, to know the premier. Uh, certainly he lives in my ward. Um, I had many, many dealings with him. He's a huge supporter of this ward for education. I think what drives the opposition crazy is that the premier is not the ideologue that they might be. The fact is, is that he's a populist person. He's very popular with people especially one-on-one and in gatherings where yeah. he can speak off the cuff. So, you know, I, I'm pretty sure the Greenbelt deal for all, you know, I'm not going to pretend I know all the intricacies, but the fact of the matter is we have a housing crisis. And I think that some in the government, and I'm assuming the premier certainly thought this was a way to get people into homes quickly. Now, there's, you know, as my mother used to say, you know, no good deed goes uh, unpunished. So you have to do it the right way. Um, I think that if you get outside of the core of downtown with the opposition parties yelling at you, you're going to find that a lot of people really like this premier. And he is, you know, managing a lot of people 
And sometimes people do, you know, things that they shouldn't do, like forgetting mm. when they were in Vegas. Um, <laughs> under under and, oath. Uh, <laughs> yeah, in front yeah, of an integrity. Case. Happens to all of us. You got it. Yeah. yeah. Well, Greg, you've probably been to Vegas a few times, and I'm sure you could share stories off air. Anyway, that uh. said, um, the premier is a uh, very popular person. And I think if he manages these issues, these personnel issues, I think he can certainly bounce back. All right, let's move it to uh, the protests uh, yesterday. We saw them. We heard them. There was some buildup to it. I think for the most part, cooler heads prevailed. But there's a lot of yelling, a lot of bullhorns, a lot of um, accusations of hate from extreme opinions and even people in the middle who just wanted to see what it was all about. Here's Marcy Ian, the Canadian federal MP. She's also, um, importantly to note, the Minister of Women and Gender Equality and Youth. Please do not take it from me, take it from the kids that I've heard from. I've traveled throughout this country for the better part of two years and more extensively this summer. And I have talked to a lot of trans kids, a lot of queer kids, and they talk to me about their fear. They talk to me about being bullied. They talk to me about being able to be themselves. And that is important here. That's what they tell me. And that's why it's important to center them in these conversations. I try not to be angry about this, Marcus, because this is really your bread and butter as a school board trustee. Um, This drives me bonkers, but then I just sit and I get sad about it. Sad we can't have conversations. Sad you can have a different opinion than me. Um, and and one of one person would be classed as being tolerant and the other person would be classed as as hateful. What did you make of of the reaction yesterday to these protests and this hot button issue? Well, you put your finger on it. This is a very um, layered issue. It's not as black and white as the fringe elements of either of the two opposing groups are saying. But we must always, always, always focus on children and students. We have to remember this is about them. It's not about us. And we can work together. Our board has an equity action plan that we brought out this year that recognizes the importance of accepting all marginalized communities. And I believe as trustee, I need to always partner with my parents. We say that we want to partner with with opposing groups and we must listen and actually hear what they're saying, even if we don't like it. We can't demonize people on either side. We've got to remember it's all about students. Um, This is interesting because I've had a lot of teachers come to me and say, we're just we're swimming in the dark right now. We don't have a policy. New Brunswick has one. Saskatchewan has one. And people can differ on ages for legislating parental consent who who want to give change their given names or pronouns or hold hands with somebody of their own sex. Things will happen for kids in this day and age. And to Marcus's point, I think there's a lot of Ontario educators that just say, just give us what the policy is and, and maybe we'll be able to come to common ground and say we can work within it and protect everybody. I mean, when the premier's office on one hand says that there's no changes to policies coming and then the premier on another hand accuses school boards of indoctrination, that is um, it is understandable as to why teachers feel that way. Mm-hmm. We have not heard from the premier beyond him and you know, members of caucus agreeing that school boards are indoctrinating children on these issues and that, you know, it's not up to the school boards to decide what, you know, what to indoctrinate our kids with. And I'm using that word a lot because that's the word that he said at Ford Fest. 
But 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 we haven't heard beyond that. We haven't heard from the education minister. Even yesterday, we heard from you know the premier of Alberta. But Minister Lecce has been silent on on this issue, and and there hasn't been really clear guidance for for teachers and uh, school boards as to how to approach uh, this this matter. It's tough, isn't it, Ahmad? Because I want to stick with you here. That poll, an Angus Reid poll, two weeks ago that surveyed. Now these are are uh, Canadian adults, but the Ontario version of those adults, forty three percent said parents have to be informed and give consent for something like an identity change. 34% said, just tell me. So that's 77%. If I'm sitting there and I'm a political strategist with either the NDP or the liberals, I say, okay, I may not agree with them, but how can I, how can I not lose those people who might be left-leaning centrist on a number of issues, but 77% is pretty overwhelming. You're not going to win many elections going all the way against that. Yeah, and you have to toe a very, very, um, you know, close or uh, tight line when it comes to this, because, you know, how do you you win from it politically, but also not um, anger, you know, these two very different groups. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that there's still over it with this in the liberal leadership race. We saw Nate Erskine Smith um, talk about how he believes that, you know, um, I think at an event, he made a comment about how he believes um, parents should know if seven-year-olds, uh, two seven-year-olds are holding hands in, in, in schools. And I think that comment got some backlash on Twitter, but 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 you see, they, they are towing a really tight line here. But it's interesting, and I do wonder, I saw somebody allege that about Erskine Smith, and, and Marcus, I do wonder, that comment will get backlash, but will there be sort of a silent majority nodding and going, yeah, just, just keep me posted. And we're also making this, I worry we're making this assumption that every home of somebody like that, it, it's going to be very difficult. It's going to be tense. It's going to be violent. People will yell and scream. And probably your home, my home, many of our listeners' homes, it's not like that at all. And and it wasn't like that with our parents. Like, it, they engage us with things that, as we change through our youth. Well, I, I think that it's uh, we're kind of going down a dangerous road here if we think that two seven-year-olds holding hands is a problem. Frankly, I mean, I'm the father, stepfather of seven children. I want my kids and always wanted my kids to make friends. Yeah. Um, this is not a sexual issue. This is an issue of friendship when two seven-year-olds are holding hands. I mean, for goodness sake, uh, I admire Minister Lecce on the fact that he has, as minister, really moved a very progressive agenda and the code of conduct, for example, that we had to implement in 2019 relating to the Ontario Human Rights Code. I thought it was a great step in progressive ways. What happens, I think, uh, is that people look to a lot of American media and become very inflamed with what they think is happening in schools. I go to my schools all the time. I mean, children are not being indoctrinated. They're not being taught crazy things. The sex ed curriculum, of which we have our own version, as we're allowed to in the Catholic world called Fully Alive, came out in 2013, okay, from the Kathleen Wynne government. So this, this curriculum is actually fairly conservative, really, compared to other jurisdictions. And I don't think educators need to have another load put on them where they're scanning the classroom, looking for some behavior, and then running to the phone. No. I mean, we want our kids educated. We don't want our kids to be in school 
learning the basics for sure, but learning to be great human beings, okay? We're developing wonderful human beings that will contribute to society. And I, I really don't think the state should be micromanaging everything that's happening. I, really quick, because you'd know, do you find there's parents coming to the Catholic system, leaving the public system, and they're isolating this uh, sex education, gender discussions as a reason that they're making that change? Well, I mean, I will say I've had uh, examples of it. I wouldn't say that there's a flood of people at all. Right. Uh, because we also have rules that to attend a Catholic elementary school, one parent must be Catholic, Roman Catholic, or Eastern Rite, or Christian Orthodox. So it's not like everybody can attend a Catholic elementary. Maybe more so in secondary, but the fact of the matter is yeah. we believe at Toronto Catholic that we provide a very strong foundation for education, and that's why people come to us. So interesting. Marcus D. Domenico, that's his voice right there, Ward 2 trustee for the TCDSB. We've got Ahmad Elbayumi joining us as well. you got to check him out at newsbeyond.ca. He's the author of Paula Corner. Speaking of politics, and doubling back to provincial politics, a Ontario Liberal Party debate brought some comparisons to Doug Ford regarding Bonnie Crombie. Let me play you this clip from the debate yesterday. I would like to say that the Green Belt is sacred. And as Liberals, I know we all believe we need to protect it. What's happened here is cronyism of its worst case. We see Doug Ford's donors and rich friends getting richer. Every mayor across the province of Ontario has told Doug Ford that he does not need to open the Green Belt. Ahmad, you cover this. Uh, this is your uh, specialty. When you see the debate yesterday, the debate in Thunder Bay, this just seems patently obvious to me. There's four candidates and there's Bonnie Crombie and the four are, are kind of looking to do anything to stop Crombie from winning. They'd be satisfied with any of the others, but there's sort of a of an ABC and anybody but Crombie among the other four candidates. Do I read that right? Um, I will say you're half right. Um, <laughs> the, the first thing is uh, that, that for context, that question was in that answer was in response to Nate Erskine Smith asking the mayor if she's still open to land swaps on the green belt and you'd recall the Globe and Mail's Laura Stone's reporting on that when Bonnie uh Crombie launched her campaign um earlier in June but I will and she say, and she said she was open to swapping white belt lands for green belt lands if if people deemed it necessary but it certainly left that door open that's right but and and we didn't necessarily hear a no I'm I'm not still open to it but mm-hmm. but and, and that's Mr. Erskine Smith did go after her on that, and he did talk about it during the scrum. But I will say to your point, um, four candidates, I would say at least three of them, um, seem to be on the anti-Bonnie Crombie uh, uh, crusade type of thing. Uh, Nate Erskine Smith and Yasser Naki had, you know, very friendly um, moments during the debate um, and and clearly are, are, you know, taking that anti-Crombie or never-Crombie approach. I think Adil Shamsi and Ted Shu are taking more of a, centrist approach in this race in which they are agreeing with policies that Ms. Crombie are putting forward. They're putting themselves in a place where if she were to win, they could very well be elevated into cabinet. Um, But I don't think necessarily all four of them, right? Marcus, when you uh, look at politics, I love talking politics with you. How do you look uh, from afar at, at this particular race and handicap it? Well, I thought the most interesting and uh, rather hilarious comment came from uh, Ms. Crombie. And, and I've met her a few times. She's really a very, very nice person. I mean, she said, you know, unlike the Conservatives, this is not a coronation. Well, okay. I think that this is more of a coronation than King Charles, frankly. She's probably more popular. So I, I, I think that the 
what happens in these debates are the the candidates that are up there attacking her know that she's she's by far ahead of everything in terms of fundraising popularity. I think they're jockeying for a a position in cabinet if she is fortunate enough to win, which I think is a huge long shot anyway. But, you know, it's it reminds me a little bit, too, of Lincoln's team of rivals. I mean, after this, she will probably bring them into cabinet or bring them into her circle at least as a shadow cabinet yeah i think that's i think that's true i I think and i think the party's probably all stronger with all five if crombie wins it's certainly stronger having those four candidates because they're getting some renown and they're getting some attention and credibility I think it's a longer shot if Bonnie Crombie doesn't win that she's going to say, well, I still don't want to go back to Mississauga. I'll run as an MPP. I'll sit in the opposition. I, I think people think she's headed back to Mississauga. I got two minutes left. Let me ask about this uh, survey about Ontario grads. Um, and uh, Ahmad, you're younger than I am. Marcus, you're not younger than I am. But anyway, um, <laughs> happy to happy. I, I never I never age is just a number. You got energy to burn, my man. I know that more than 40 percent of Ontario grads considering leaving province due to affordability crisis surveys suggest Marcus weigh in on this as a parent, because I, I, everything is about time and place in life. I, I didn't want to burden my parents and move right to the corner of Young and Dundas and go to U of T undergrad. I thought it was cheaper for me to live at a cheaper apartment and go to Western and hang out with my friends. But that's an unbelievable number of people doing all the right things, getting their education, you know, working hard. And they feel like I can't, I can't live not just in downtown Toronto. I can't live in downtown Ottawa. I can't live in the province. Yeah, and I've seen this in our own family. Um, I, like we have, as I said, we're father and stepfather, seven children, five of whom are have been through or are going through university. It's an expensive process um, compared to our American friends. It's actually pretty cheap. I think it's a level of expectation. We can't come out of an educational uh, institution without some debt. But that's not what's stopping you from getting a house, frankly. If you want to put a down payment on a house in this market with the restrictions, you're mm-hmm. going to need hundreds of thousands of dollars. And that's going to take a while. So you apartment it for a while, you conduit, you live outside in Peterborough or wherever it is, save some bucks if you want to come back here. Yeah. This is a very, very brutal real estate market for for new couples Um, what do you see i got a minute here but what do you see in your peer group what are these conversations like about about the long game and figuring out where to live and start a life and start a family yeah well i don't necessarily advertise this but i'm also aside from journalism a post-secondary student and i will tell you that i see this a lot i i just heard a story the other day from someone who was like what is more what is better for me do i buy a car and i drive uh, commute to university or do I live on residence? Yeah. Because the, the at the end of the day, it's not affordable. I know of a lot of people who are leaving this country and going elsewhere to study because they can't afford to live here. They can't afford to, you know, um, find find housing. Um, I think I think it's an issue and I think that governments really need to do a better job addressing it um, at the end of the day. Well said. Well said. And for being a post-secondary grad, that's my, Marcus, you and I want to be Ahmad when we grow up. If we're able or yes. get reincarnated, um, I think that's the only option for you and me right now. Is a, boy, This is getting rather dark, this conversation <laughs> so far. <laughs> Thank you, Greg. We may need a reincarnation uh, to make it work and become Ahmad in another life. Hey, uh, love your work again, as I mentioned. Thank you for coming on. You were fantastic. You can read him at News Beyond. And Marcus, thank you very much for doing this today. Have a great day um, doing what you do. We appreciate you coming on. Thanks, everyone. Thanks so much. Ahmad El-Bayami, Marcus Domenico. That was a great segment.